Okay. All right, everybody, have a seat, please. Have a seat. If you're coming in, come on in. Come on in. Have a seat. All right, I'm, I'm going to get started because uh, this is kind of, there, there's a lot of stuff, and I'd like to try and leave some time for you guys to ask questions. And also, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of talk fast, but I talk a lot, too. So my name is Joey Harris. I live in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, I'm a teacher in the church, and uh and that's about it. So, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to waste time talking about me. I want to talk about God. So, what is apologetics? Because I heard random people talking about apologizing. <laughs> Has nothing to do with apologizing. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. Well, who knows what it is? Come on, y'all. Come on, come on, come on. Yes. Okay, why we believe and what we believe comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means to give a defense, and it's like a legal defense. So there's a famous uh, book by, uh, uh, what's his face? The philosopher, Plato, famous book, <laughs> there's a famous book by Plato <laughs> called The Apology of Socrates, and it's about Socrates' trial. He was, uh, he was put on trial for atheism and for corrupting minors because he was teaching young people how to think and, because, and atheism because he was questioning the Greek gods. So he was, you know, kind of put on trial, but he was just asking questions. And that's something that I'd like to encourage you all to do and to keep doing, to ask questions. It's never bad to ask questions. If you're serious about it. Some people are just like, you know, asking questions. Why? 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 Well, then why? Why that? Why that? And they keep going. It's just being annoying. But if you have sincere questions, no problem in asking. So we're talking about reasons to believe. I was just given that title. That's actually not what I was originally going to teach you guys. But, hey, it's all right. We'll work with it. And specifically, reasons to believe in the Christian worldview. Okay, what's a worldview? It's exactly what it sounds like. But it's our outlook. It's our way of looking at the world. It's our way of thinking about looking at the world. It's the lenses through which we view the world. And so we're talking about looking at the world through Christian glasses, through a Christian point of view. So I'm going to talk about three basic things. Why should I believe in God? How do I know the Bible is true? And why should I believe in Jesus? Okay, that's all I'm going to be talking about. Now, I'm assuming that most of you are actually Christians or want to be or are thinking about it or like, like Jesus in some kind of way. But if you're not, then this will be good for you. If you are, this will help equip you to talk to people who are not and to help them to see why you believe what you believe, to defend your beliefs, to give a... a a good defense, a good apologia for what you believe in. So first, does God exist? We're going to look at three different arguments. And an argument, philosophically, this is, uh, argument just means to state your case, to make your case. It doesn't mean that you're getting up in someone's face. 
That's, that's a bad argument. A real argument means that you give reasons, you give statements, and you prove what you're talking about. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three. The cosmological, big, long name, it's actually really easy. The moral argument and the argument from experience. Okay, so as long as there have been us, as long as there have been people, we've looked around and wondered, what else is there? How did all this get here? How did we get here? Why? Why, why are we here? Why is all this here? Why, why, are, why aren't we running around bumping into aliens every two days? Well, according to the, uh, according to the Air Force, we may very well be. Did y'all hear about that? Oh, well, they, they admitted that some, there, there were some pilots that, that saw some UFOs, and they took video, and it was released last year, and it was all in the news and everything. And they admitted a few days ago that they really were unidentified flying objects. They were real. They had no clue what they were. That was you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it happens. So the Psalms, Psalms say, the heavens keep telling the wonders of God, and the skies declare what he has done. Each day informs the following day. Each night announces to the next. They don't speak a word, and there's never the sound of a voice. Yet their message reaches all the earth, and it travels around the world. What is that talking about? The heavens declare the wonders of God without speaking a word. Hmm? Well, it's talking about the stars, but what about the stars? What, 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 how, are the, how do the stars, or how do the heavens, how does the sky, how does, looking, how does that dude standing there looking at things, how does that... How is what he's seeing declaring the wonders of God? Bless you. Yes. Okay, shows how great his creations are. When you observe it, how small you are. It gives you a sense of awe and wonder and amazement. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Proclaims the power of God. And the beauty that he created. Now, remember these things. The power of God, because doesn't someone who can make all that have to be, by definition, powerful? But also, she said the beauty that he created. Why is that significant? Who cares? Why does that matter? Think about it. Why does it matter that what God created is beautiful? He cares. He put effort into it. He thought everything out. He has a sense of what's beautiful and what's not. He made it beautiful. It didn't have to be. Most places aren't. But it is. And we think it's beautiful. What does that mean? That we think it's beautiful. Well, he knows that we would think it's beautiful, but it it means something even deeper than that. We're created in his image. In other words, we think it's beautiful because we're like him in some way. And so he made something that was pleasing to himself, and we are pleased by it as well. So think, just think about that. It's slow. More stars. Oh, by the way, let me go back here. Can I go back? Okay. What is that? What do you think you're looking at? Okay. Nope. I mean, technically, yes, there's stars, but that's not actually what you're looking at. You said you're not even looking at the galaxy. What are you looking at? What? But you're close. You're the closest so far. 
You're not even looking at the universe. You're looking at a tiny fraction of the universe. I, d- I don't even know what, how small. Like itty bitty, tiny little bit. What you're looking at, each one of those dots on there, it's not a star. Each one of those dots is a galaxy. Each one of those dots contains over 100 billion stars. You can't even count. Oh, right. You can't even count them. You can't even count those things. You can't even count the dots, and each dot is 100 billion stars. And that whole thing that you're looking at, I can't even know how many trillions of quadrillions or whatever of stars that represents is only a tiny fraction of the universe. And God made all that. Think about that. So... Romans starts out in chapter 1, it says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. By not living the right way, they make it hard for people to understand the truth. By the way, that's especially important for people who claim to be following Jesus. Because if we behave the wrong way, then how are people supposed to know what the right way is? Because they're not even trying to behave the right way. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Well, how? How did God show it to them? For his invisible attributes, that is his power. Remember we talked about that? His divine nature. Remember we talked about that? He's beautiful. He cares. He understands you and he wants us to experience it. Have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. Being understood through what he has made. Who has a phone on them? Everybody, right? Hold up a phone. Look at it. What can you tell me about the company that made your phone? (laughs) What can you tell me about the company that made your phone? Okay, they're successful, they're smart. Powerful. They're very lucky to have been around at the right time where everything, you know, came together for them to be able to make phones like that. But they're not just, they're not really lucky because they looked around at all the junk. And you know what those phones are made of? It's mostly made out of sand. Sand, dirt, rocks, and metal. That's what those phones are made out of. Yeah. Okay. And so they took all that stuff and they figured out how to make those phones. And God made them. So as a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became like nonsense. And their senseless minds were darkened. Okay, they couldn't even, if you, if you ignore God, you can't think straight. That's basically what they're saying. And we'll see why. There's a, that, that's actually rational. There's a reason for that. So the first thing that we're going to look at, the first argument for, for there being a God in the first place, has fancy names, the cosmological argument, the Kalam's cosmological argument, the argument from existence, the uh, prime, you know, all kinds of, but it's actually really simple. It goes like this. It's really old. It goes back, it's actually before Jesus was even born, this argument was being made. Because remember, it's not about Jesus, it's about God. This is a philosophical argument. So it's like those, you know, logic problems. It has a premise and a conclusion. So the first one, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Does that make sense? 
Now notice what it's saying, whatever begins to exist. What, why does it say like that? It doesn't say whatever exists, whatever begins to exist. So what do I mean by that? It means that it did not exist, now it does. So it had to be created, it had to be made, it had to be brought into existence. It began to exist, it didn't before, now it does. So anything that, did ne that never existed but now does has to have a cause. Does that make sense? Can you think of an example where that's not the case? Other than God. Yeah. Mos mosquitoes. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> They're definitely annoying, but they, but they do have a cause, even if it's just mama and papa mosquito. But they have a, they have a cause. <laughs> Pardon? You're just trying to think, right? Every Everything that begins to exist must have a cause. Okay, so that's the first premise. You can... If you if you disagree, feel free to say so and give me an example of something that started exist didn't exist before started existing and nothing caused it. It just poof, it was just there. I think your parents would beg to differ. Okay, so second premise: the universe began to exist. Now, believe it or not, this is science supports this. It didn't used to. How does science support this idea, the second premise? Big Bang, Big Bang Theory, right? And, and, and everything in modern science points towards the Big Bang Theory being true. But the Big Bang Theory was just, it was just, just thought up in the 20th century. And it was only confirmed in the last few decades. Confirmed. Yes, as in they found evidence that that is actually what happened. Before somebody said, hmm, it looks like this might be what happened because of red shifting of the light coming from the stars and the telescope and so forth. They said, hmm, this looks as if the stars are all moving away very fast as if there were, they were all at one point in one place and they kind of exploded. That's what it looks like. And they came up with this theory, oh, we'll call it the Big Bang because it's the biggest explosion ever was. And it looks like that's where all matter all energy, all time and space didn't exist, and then it started all of a sudden, and the very first thing that existed was energy, so it all started in a big flash of light. Hmm, wait, so there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was life. Does that sound familiar to you? That's science I'm saying, though. That's science, almost like Genesis 1. In the beginning, there was God. God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. In other words, nothing. Trackless and waste. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he went on and made a lot of other stuff, including, including us. But that sounds an awful lot like it. Well, science didn't used to believe that. Until recently. And they thought, well, maybe the universe has just always been around. Maybe it was like, you know, universe after universe, after universe, after universe. Maybe this universe has just been here forever. And, we, you know, we're just popping up, but the universe has been here forever. Well, science does no longer think so. They think that it all started as, at a specific point in time. All of a sudden, there was nothing, and now there was something. Well, that's a problem for science. We like it because <laughs> it sounds just like Bible to us. 
Well, to a philosopher, similarly, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the conclusion, if whatever begins to exist has a cause and the universe began to exist, then the universe must have a cause. And that cause cannot itself have a cause. Why not? Because, uh, because something which already exists must, create, must have created the universe which did not already exist. And if that thing which exists has a cause, now you're going back infinitely, and you can't actually do that. It doesn't work. It sounds really weird. All these, you know, all these philosophical things start to sound weird if you really think too hard about them. I don't know how it doesn't drive them crazy. But it, 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 you can't go back infinitely. This made this, made this, made this, and nothing was ever, nothing ever began it. That doesn't work. For example, if that was true, if it went back to infinity, we would, we, we would never be here right now. This moment right now would never come. Because it would be infinitely coming. It would never arrive. Yeah, I know. It hurts. <laughs> so this is a basic argument. It's called the cosmological argument. Whatever begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. If whatever begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist. Then that universe, the universe must have a cause. That cause must have always existed. So it, the cause of the universe was always around. It's eternal. The universe is defined as everything that is, time, space, matter, energy, everything that exists. That's what, how the universe is defined. So by definition, what created the universe must be outside of time and space. It must be immaterial, and it must be eternal. And we already mentioned that it's beautiful. Well, it's not just beautiful. It's beautiful mathematically as well. Physicists actually marvel over how elegant the universe is and they the, the, they they talk about things like design of the universe why <laughs> because it is Th that's how it appears to us it appears beautiful elegant simple and I, I don't have time to go into all the different constraints that were necessary for life much less our kind of life to develop if things had gone a fraction of an inch you know good one way or another we wouldn't even exist so it was perfectly created so that we would come to, into existence. Some scientists, there was a, uh, an astronomer in the, uh, I can't remember if it was the 60s or 70s, Robert Penrose, who came up with um, a theory called the anthropic principle. That the entire universe appears to be created so that human-like life would develop. And, he, and he, he's, he's not, not religious. This is, this is, he's just looking at the universe and saying, well, that, that's what it looks like. So you have this immaterial, I eternal, intelligent, caring, you know, aesthetically pleasing artist that creates a universe. This is actually a philosophical theory, believe it or not. So either there was an uncaused first cause or the cause itself had a cause. It's a turn had a cause, an infinite regression. There's no alternative. It's one or the other. It can't be the other. So the universe must have had a cause we call an eternal, immaterial, intelligent, powerful, well, that sounds like God. That's what, that's what we call God. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Robert Penrose. Somebody just Google and see. 
Uh, that, I, I could be wrong, and please correct me, because that was just off the top of my head. And P-E-N-R-O-S-E. Yeah, look them up. Or just look up anthropic principles. Okay. And then tell me who, tell me who that was, because I don't want to be t- giving you guys false information. He's a real guy, but I don't know if that's his real theory. We're looking, we're checking. Any questions while we're checking about that? Does that make sense? Oh, so, uh, oh, yeah, okay, quantum mechanics, right. Uh, Oh, well, that's why. That's why I was thinking of him. Okay, he's talking about the quantum nature of consciousness. So he's related but different. So never mind. But look up anthropic, A-N-T-H-R-O-P-I-C, anthropic principles. So it's not him, it's someone else. Okay, the second is the moral argument. If God doesn't exist, then objective moral values don't exist. Because we believe that God is the source of morality. It's reflecting on God and the nature of God. God is good. God is loving. God is an artist. God is, you know, like beauty. God is all these different things. And that's how we derive morality itself. Western morality came from Judeo-Christian. We hear people talk about the Judeo-Christian legal system, the Judeo-Christian, you know, art system, the Judeo-Christian philosophy. That's where it comes from. Our modern society as we know it, including our laws, what we think is good and bad, right and wrong, comes from the Bible in the first place. But it also comes from people reflecting on God and who God is and what God is like. And that's where we have that. Now, there, again, there's no alternative. You, the other alternative is not, you don't believe there is such a thing as objective moral values. In other words, there is no real good and bad, right and wrong. But nobody really believes that. No, I mean, people claim to believe that, but you punch them in the face and see how quick they try and hit you back. Why? Or you, or you take their wallet. Nothing wrong with that, right? There's no objective good and bad, so it's just, it's, I think it's, you know, good for me to have it. You can't say it's wrong. You see if they don't say, that's not fair, that's not right. You can't take, oh, wait, so you do believe, because they do. No one really believes that there's no such thing as good and bad, right and wrong, especially not as it applies to themselves. Evil exists. Now, a lot of times people bring up evil as a problem, okay? This is why I don't believe in God because of evil. Well, this is actually why you should believe in God, because if evil exists, then God must exist. Why do I say that? Evil is the absence of God or the absence of good or the absence of all. Again, if you don't believe that there is any objective moral value, that means you don't believe there is such a thing as evil. Right? How are you so on what basis are you saying that that's evil? If you don't believe in, <laughs> if you don't believe that there is a, 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 a such a thing as right and wrong, if you don't believe in objective morality, when I say objective morality, that, that things are good and bad, not because we think they are, not because we're choosing to believe that, not because we're making it up, they are actually inherently good or bad. If you don't believe that, then there's no such thing as evil. You have no basis to complain about evil on the one hand 
and then, and then you said you don't even believe in it. And, and, and Christians define evil as the absence of God or disobeying God or not being like God. That's what we think evil is. And so if, if, you, don't, if you don't agree with that, if you don't think that that's true, that there's not, a, you know, things aren't truly good or bad, right or wrong, then you can't complain about evil. There's no such thing. Does that make sense? And yet people do. They say, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. But in the next breath, well, so why does God allow me to do that? Well, wait, you just said you didn't believe in it. You can't have it both ways. So the existence of evil itself proves that there must be something not evil. On what basis are you calling it evil, right? If you're calling something evil, that means that you think that there are things that are good. And God is the supreme good. God is the best of goodness. Does that, does that make sense? So if you really think that things are evil, that means you really think there must be good. Unless you think everything is evil. That's what? And that's just that. Okay, the argument from experience. Most people throughout human history have believed in or experienced God in some way, shape, form, or fashion. They might call different things, might not call God, God. They might just talk about, well, like a lot of new agey people do today. The universe. Well, you know, the, oh, thank you. I'm so glad we met. You know, I'm so glad the universe brought you to, what's the universe? I'm so glad the universe brought you to me, bro, because, you know, we just connect, you know. So, I mean, you know, the universe just worked it out. That sounds like you're talking about, you're just not calling that God. It's still God that you're talking about. People felt the presence of something outside of themselves, an actual presence of a, of a personality outside of themselves. And I think everyone has felt something like the presence of God in their lives, at least at one point. People pray. Not because they're told to pray, they pray spontaneously. People have described miracles throughout history, everywhere, every place. Visions and dreams. Intense awe and wonder, like the dude looking up at the, at the universe. People feel that feeling of, wow, there's something, it's not just me. There's something greater than me. And, and this is a, a personality of some kind greater than I am. This is human experience. Why? Why, why do we feel that? Hmm? Why do we feel that there must be something outside of ourselves? Why do we feel a sense of a presence that's not us? Why do we feel when you're looking at something amazing or beautiful, why do you feel that intense feeling of, wow, I mean, just this is incredible. This is so beautiful. This is, a, this is just like, my, but you don't just simply feel, wow, that's really good looking. You actually feel like this, this is, you're experiencing something when you look at, at something beautiful. Especially natural. No human can make something that beautiful. Well, humans can make some beautiful things. But no, not as good as nature. <laughs> okay, so this is the argument from experience. People basically experience things outside of themselves that are greater than themselves, that are beyond nature, supernatural things. Of various kinds. That, this, is, this is the weakest of those arguments, by the way. But it's the one that we're all familiar with because we've all experienced it. 
even atheists would say, well, I, I don't know how to explain that. But it happened to me. I was, I was in the car, and, you know, it, 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 it hit the other car, and there was a big explosion and a ball of fire. And, you know, next thing I knew, I was like three blocks down, just laying on the street. And I was fine. Not a scratch on me. I don't know how to explain it. It was just, you know. People have those kinds of experiences. Again, that's the weakest argument. But it's real. So God exists. You can't read that. It says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So God exists because morality does require a standard. You're, you have to base it on something. We base it on God. Universal experience points to a spiritual reality outside of ourselves. The God who created material things must not be material himself. The universe did have a beginning and so must have had a cause, a first cause that existed, that has always existed. Uh, the universe shows examples of personality and intelligence in its design and the way that it appears. It does not appear to be truly random or impersonal. And then finally, we experience God in and through Christ, through Jesus himself. I know it's little, sorry. I'm nearsighted, so I can see little tiny words. Okay, Okay. What, what do you want me to go back to? Oh. Oh, we're going to give you the slides. Yeah. I don't know. Put them up on a website or something. Yeah, you, you, can get, you can have them. Or you can email me and ask me for them. All right. Any questions about any of this? We're moving on. Okay, good. So. How can I trust the Bible? Why are we talking about trusting the Bible? Why is that important? Okay, so if, if we've got to the point where you say, okay, well, maybe there is, maybe God does exist. Maybe there is a God. Why is the Bible important? Okay, one, it's a physical reference point to God. Okay, the Bible claims to be God's word. In other words, God's self revelation this is god saying hey this is who i am this is what i'm like this is what i this is what i want you to know about me that's what the bible actually claims to be god speaking to us through other people telling us who he is and what he's like so that's why we need to 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 be able to trust it if you can't trust it then you can't trust it you don't if it's not what it claims to be then who knows we, we don't really know what god's like in any kind of way other than through experience well, how do I know it wasn't changed? A lot of people say that, right? Well, it was changed. It's like telephone, you know. It's like, you know, and you whisper, you know, God is real. And then, you know, but it goes and everybody whispers, everybody whispers, everybody whispers. And then by the time it gets over here, it's like, you know, a frog ate an eel. And you're like, no, that's, that's not the same. You know, it's not the same kind of thing. We know because it's honest. Think about that for a few seconds. Why would that be proof that the Bible is trustworthy, that it's honest? And what do I mean by it's honest? Can people give me some examples? Okay, he said David in the Bible, he messed up. Now, that's a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> okay, I mean, he committed adultery. 
And then he had the woman's husband that he had already cheated on. He had had her husband killed, murdered. So he committed contract murder, adultery. Then his family's all jacked up. He almost killed his own son. His son was trying to kill him for half of his life. I mean, he had, I mean, his life was messed up. And the Bible tells us that. And when you read the books that tell, tell you that, it is, oh, this is from the court records. This is from the annals of the king. This is from the official. Re- but think about this. What politician do you know lets you publish stuff like that? Even now, even right now. If you are if you are in a in a country uh, the the leaders in the country, they they don't really tell you. I'm talking about they are telling you. They're not telling you what they're really like. But David himself says, "Oh yeah, man, I I sinned. I messed up. <laughs> God, don't take your spirit away from me. I still love you. I I I, I want to change. I want to be different." This is the king himself saying this, plus all the people talking about the king. And ancient signs are even worse than nowadays as far as that goes. They did, they, they, you read about the king and they, they basically, oh, this is the God who walks upon the sun with the moon on his left and the stars, you know, arrayed around him. The ground on which he walks turns into roses and everything is awesome with this guy. That's how they talked about the king, not the Bible. Like, nah, this is real. (laughs) This is real. This is what he was really like. This is what really happened. So because it's honest, we can trust it. If you made up a religion, it'll be all clean and sanitized, right? If you are making it up and you wanted people to, I'm making up a religion, I want people to follow it, you're going to make it look perfect. You're going to make it look good. You're going to make it look great. That's not what the Bible does. It looks messy. Why? Why does it look so messy? Why is it so messy? Why is 1 Corinthians in the Bible? Why is Genesis in the Bible? Did you ever read that book? These guys were jacked up, and I'm talking about the ones that were following God. They were messed up. No, seriously. I mean, Abraham, he's the father of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And Abraham is like, he goes, you know, into Egypt, and he's, he's like, oh, well, t- tell him you're my sister. Because they might, you know, say, he's talking about his wife. Tell him you're my sister, you know. I mean, that's messed up. Right? <laughs> this is why. <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't want to get there, right? If you're making it up, you would make it a lot nicer, a lot cleaner than it actually is. We know that it was transmitted accurately. Because the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were, were written physically. They were written a few hundred years before Jesus was even born. And they contain sections of every book in the Old Testament. Several complete copies of the book of Isaiah. Why is that significant, book of Isaiah? It prophesies about Jesus, a lot about Jesus, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would die, that he would die and yet live to see many descendants, that he'd be alone and yet have many descendants. <laughs> so it talks about Jesus. I've actually seen that scroll physically, seen that scroll with my own eyes on that section of Isaiah. And the, and and uh, I was I was in Israel and we were in the museum and they they only they they usually put a, a replica, but this was the 50th anniversary of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they were displaying it. They were discovered in 1948, and so they were displaying the actual Isaiah Scroll spe- specially. And when I when I was going up to see, it, I had to wait. It was a, a dad and his son, a Jewish dad and his son, 
And they were looking at it, and they had it open to Isaiah 53, and the son was asking his father, Daddy, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, what does this mean? Please explain it to me. <laughs> so uh, he was talking about the suffering servant. That's a good, incorrect. Do you know who that suffering servant was? Yeah. The New Testament was also accurately transmitted. We have more manuscripts, more copies of the biblical manuscripts than any other ancient book. Any other ancient book. There are more copies than there are of recent books. There are more copies of, of, the, of the Bible than there are of Shakespeare or than there are of the Catcher in the Rye. Or there are, in, and when I say copies, I'm talking about original manuscripts, the handwritten, you know, what they wrote. Than any other ancient book. More copies. The, 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 next, the next most copied book was Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And there's about, I think, 300 copies of those, as opposed to 5,000 copies. Yeah. Sorry, I'm rebatting. Well, they don't, some people don't know. She said, if they have, if this is all true, then why do people doubt? One, they don't know this. Some people don't know this. And two, some people don't, they just don't even read it. They're not even looking at the Bible. So a lot of the, a lot of the famous, famous atheists that you hear, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, uh, people like that, they, they're not even, they're not even reading the Bible. If you, if you listen to what they're saying, it's pretty clear that, I don't even know if you actually know real people that are trying trying to follow the Bible. They make up arguments. Uh, there, it's called a straw man argument. It's just this really weak, flimsy portrayal of the person you're arguing against, and then you argue against that instead of what they really believe. So, for example, they'll say, "Well, Christians, you know, they just they just believe in blind faith. You're not supposed to think. You're not supposed to reason. You're not supposed to question anything. That's not what Christians. That's not what faith is for a Christian. That is not what it means." But that's what they say it means, and then they argue against that. Well, does that make sense? Isn't that dumb? Why wouldn't you use your brain? Why wouldn't you do that? But that's not what they believe in the first place. So it's like, like that. Same thing like, oh, and by the way, the Dead Sea Scrolls, like I said, were written hundreds of years before Jesus. Minor, minor differences. Even all these different manuscripts, the differences, and there are people who spend their whole lives studying, just cataloging differences between manuscripts. And we're talking about, an of instead of an, uh, uh, you know, a with, or an and instead of a but, or the just like tiny little differences in words, most of which have no effect on the meaning, and it gets even better. When there is a difference that does or may affect the meaning, you're told about it. If you have a Bible on you right now, if you have a Bible, physical Bible, and you open it, you will have footnotes at the bottom, Right? And those footnotes will sometimes say, or, you're reading something, you might say, or, it could be this. So even if there are differences, you still are being told what those differences are. It's not that, that they're hiding it from you. So you can decide for yourself which one makes more sense. So the message has been accurate, accurately preserved. Okay, then lastly, how do I know that Jesus was who he claimed to be? What time is it? Okay, wrapping up. How do I know that Jesus really lived and that he was who he said he was? Who did he say he was? The Messiah. 
the son of God. Okay, so he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God's son. He claimed to be from heaven. Some people say, well, yeah, but there's parallels to that in other religions. Like in Egyptian religion, you have, you know, uh, Osiris and Horus and a dying and rising God. The Greeks had, you know, this dying and rising. Most of those things are like harvest festivals. And they're looking, the dying and rising is, you know, they, they die in the winter and they rise in the spring. Because they're, they're explaining the cycles of the seasons and so forth. That has nothing to do with this. The resurrection, we'll talk more about the resurrection. But the resurrection is the great Christian miracle that, uh, that Christians believe in, that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. By the way, Christians are also supposed to believe that that's what's going to happen to us. We don't think much about it. You, know, you hear a lot of people talk, about, oh, yeah, you just die and go to heaven. That's not actually what the Bible says. It's not quite that simple, not that quick. You will be resurrected. Just like Jesus was in a body just like he had or has. He still has it. But, um, uh, and remember, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. I'm just reading the same as you. So it's, it's a physical body. He said, touch me. Put your fingers in, my, in, in the holes of my hand, Thomas. Can't you see it's me? He even says, look, touch me. I am not a ghost. It's, it's me. I came back, me in a body. So that so resurrection is a physical resurrection, and there's a lot of historical evidence for the Bible, even outside the Bible. Jewish, Roman, Christian sources, pagan sources, a lot of evidence there, and then people that claim to be eyewitnesses. And l- many of these eyewitnesses died. Because of what they believed. They were killed. They were put to death. Often very painfully. Sawed in two. Boiled in oil. Burned at the stake. Eaten by wild animals. Dismembered. Uh, thrown into the you know gladiator ring. And again, to maybe all those things at once. Got eaten, barbecued, and sawed in half. But drawn and quartered. Where you put horse on each limb. And make them run in different directions. Until they tear you apart disemboweled, I mean, I can go on, lots of yucky stuff. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, I don't know if a lot of you have ever read this, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a biblical euphemism for they dead. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What's the significance of, of, of that part that I have in bold there? He appeared to more than 500 other brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Why is that important? Right, that some of the people, hundreds of people, this is not just those 12 guys. Hundreds of people saw him after he rose from the dead, that's one, because we only we usually just think of the twelve apostles, but hundreds of people saw him, and at the time Paul is writing this, he says 
some of those people that saw him, some of those hundreds of people that saw him are still alive right now. You don't have to believe me. Go ask Aristophanes. He's right over there. Go ask Derastus. Go ask Derisa. She's right over back there. Ask her. She saw him. She was there. And that, that's, why, that's why he's fine. Most of, them of whom, most of whom are still living. No, yeah, you can't have a sweet guy. Sorry. Get sweet. All right. So I'm going to... I'm going to quickly go over 12 historical facts. This Most historians believe this. Now, when you're looking at something like the resurrection, <laughs> that's by definition a miracle. That doesn't normally happen. So it's a miracle. So that cannot be scientifically proven. You might have scientific evidence that shows that that may or may not have occurred, but you can't actually prove it. So how do you prove things like that? Well, you prove them historically. How do you, how do you prove that uh, how do you prove that the uh, Christopher Columbus landed in Hispaniola in whatever, 1492, and, you know, three ships? And that, how do you prove that? You look at what? You look at historical evidence. Well, what is historical evidence? Documents, records, and nowadays they might be, they might be video records or audio records, media records. But you look for documentary evidence. That's exactly what the Bible is. That's exactly what the Gospels are. They are historical, documentary evidence. Some of it is first-hand evidence, some of it is second, and some of it is third-hand evidence. Meaning, you know, that I actually saw this with my own eyes. I was there, or this guy that was there told me, or I read about this guy that told this guy that was there. You get further removed. But that is how history works. And so that's what the Bible is. And most scholars... Most historians consider the Bible, especially the Gospels and the book of Acts, to be valid, credible, historical documents. In other words, they believe this is actually real history. So these are things that they pretty much agree on. There was a Jewish guy named Jesus who really lived, and he died, and he was crucified. Died by crucifixion. Okay? So they believe that. He was buried. He wasn't left out for the vultures. Didn't disappear. The aliens didn't get him. He was buried. His death caused his immediate followers to lose hope. The tomb that he was buried in ended up empty three days later. Many of Jesus' followers had experiences that they believed were literal appearances of the risen Jesus. Okay, now notice what that's saying. They claimed that they had experiences where they saw him after he had died. They claimed they saw him resurrected. I'm not saying, they're not saying that this actually happened. They're saying that people claimed that that happened. His followers were transformed from doubters to bold proclaimers. Who can quote Matthew 28, 18 to 20? You can look it up. Matthew 28. That's, the, that's called the Great Commission. Oh. 18 through 20. Therefore, What does it say? 
Yeah. And when it says, go make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what? Teaching them to obey every, not teaching them everything I taught, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And surely I'll be with you till the very end of the age, right? And that's awesome. That's powerful. People talk about it. Preachers everywhere talk about it. Read verse 16. What does verse 16 say? Anyone? Thank you. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So in other words, they believed that he was God, they worshipped him, but, but some doubted. So his followers were transformed from doubters to bold proclaimers. By the, by, by the book of Acts, they're, they're willing to die saying that this man actually did resurrect from the dead. The resurrection was their central message. They preached the message of his resurrection in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then Samaria and then everywhere else. The church was born and grew, and Jews who believed in Jesus made Sunday their primary day of worship instead of the Sabbath day, which is on Saturday, based on their belief that that was the day on which Jesus had resurrected. James, Jesus' brother, who was a skeptic in the Gospels, was converted to the faith after he saw the resurrected Jesus. Okay, so these are things that are historical. These are matters of the historical record. So... They don't scientifically prove the resurrection, but something happened. Something happened that caused people to be willing to die for it. Something happened that changed them from doubting to believing. Something happened that made them bold and powerful and able to talk about Jesus. Something happened that was so special that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. That's where I started talking about. What's more important than knowing all those kinds of arguments, being able to talk about cosmology and philosophy and history, all those E's and ologies, what's way more important than that is that we live like Jesus, that we live like we belong to Jesus Christ. That's what actually helps people to follow him. When they see that you care about them, that you love them, and that you won't stop loving them, no matter what they're like, you still will care about them. You will still love them. You'll still stick by them. When they see you struggling and trying to do what's right, not being perfect, you might mess up, you might do what, but you come back and say, oh, I messed up. I am going to do differently. I'm going to change. I'm going to live the right way. That's what converts people to Jesus. Not a bunch of arguments. Now, I gave you a bunch of arguments, so you have some things in case people raise some of those questions. But what's really going to change people's hearts is your changed heart. When they see what a different person you are because of Jesus, 
they'll want to be different also because of Jesus. And they want to know the Jesus that is changing you in that kind of way. Okay, any questions? You can ask questions about anything having to do with apologetics. Yes. Ten and a half, my true size. Ten and a half. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Ooh, ooh, three. Ooh, wow, tiny. Okay. That's not the whole story, though. Go back and read the actual account, because that's all true, but that's not the whole story. He was not just simply trying to protect her. He was trying to protect himself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You have to go, you have to read it for historical context, look up the background, and try and understand what's happening, because it's a different culture. It's a different world. It's actually a lot of different cultures. Yes, any questions? Yeah. Right. Okay, how can you help people? The question is, how can I help someone who basically believes in subjective morality? That, that you know, this is just what I believe. Well, how, how can you help someone like that? It's, it's by asking questions. What kind of questions would you ask? How would you question that? Why do you believe that? What do you base, what do you base that on? Ultimately, it'll be I, I, no, nothing. I just, feel like, I just feel like that. That's, I mean, because that's what it is, right? Ultimately, they're not basing it on much of anything. Sometimes it might be experience, but at the, at the end of the day, it'll be, well, I just feel that that's the right thing. Next question. Well, if that's true, then, you know, what would it be like if everyone lived like that? What would it be like? What would it be like if everybody did whatever they felt was right? Whatever they felt like. Anarchy. Okay? So, like I said, people who, who claim that, they don't really believe in that because they don't really want. There are some true anarchists, anarchists out there, but a person like who, who you're talking about is probably not one of them. More, more like, you know, I just, I just don't want people calling me, you know, calling me out. I don't want people telling me I did something wrong. I feel like doing whatever I feel like doing, and I don't want some, anyone to question me. And that's where you, you ask them questions until they see that that's what they're really saying. And then say, well, do you think that's, do you think that's right? What if everyone was like that? Back to, you know, you can't punch them in the face and tell them, oh, you should just accept it because I thought it was right. Any questions? What else? Science, math, history, Bible. Thank you. Okay. We done. See you, Vandy. Um, if, if you have any questions and you're just afraid to ask or too shy or whatever, you can email me at bible.teacher at gmail.com. Bible.teacher at gmail.com. Yeah, my name is Bible. My last name teacher. Bible teacher. No. 
And it's a dot. Don't forget the dot. Pi over dot t.